Welcome to Traveling Culturati, where we explore cultures and share travel news, travel tips, destinations, and travel chats. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Well, hey there, fellow Culturati. Javon Harley here, your host and travel pro for Traveling Culturati. Make sure you head on over to the website, TravelingCulturati.com. And while you're there, join that travel club, sign up for the newsletter, and follow us on social media so you can join in the fun. Sometimes we play some games and you can win some prizes, too. We're kicking off Black History Month with a list of places to visit and things you can do to celebrate and honor Black History Month. We'll also have Javon's Travel Minute and the Culture Report. But right now, let's get into a little travel news. The United States is actively looking at mandating COVID-19 testing for domestic air travel. This information was given to Reuters and on a call with the reporters, Dr. Marty Cetron, the director for the Division of Global Migration and Quarantine at CDC, said that there were conversations that were ongoing and looking at what the types and locations of testing might be. So they're looking at two of the tests, of course, the PCR and the rapid test. There are rapid test facilities available at some airports. And then there's also looking into the home COVID tests, but they would have to be approved by authorities. So it just can't be manufactured by anybody, but certainly a list of those approved tests that you can take at home. And there's some mixed views about it. I mean, people aren't very happy about having to do that because the COVID tests are not free, depending on your insurance, what is covered, what's not covered. And at some of the destinations, it can be anywhere from $100 up. And then, of course, the PCR test takes three calendar days for you to get the results. Although I got one and I got my results back within less than 24 hours. It was just in a matter of about five or six hours that I had my test results back. But they're still putting a requirement on when you would need to have it, very similar to the new rule that's been mandated for international travelers returning to or arriving at the United States. So the PCR test does take about three calendar days and that proof of negative test from the date that you take it to the date that you will be traveling. The CDC said on Sunday that it would not grant waivers to exempt travelers from some countries with limited testing capacity. And, you know, the bottom line is, until we really get the numbers under control, we have to stop the spread and contain. And just simply asking folks not to travel if they have COVID or been tested for COVID, a lot of people are asymptomatic, so they may not even know that they have it. And the only way that they would, would be to get a test. But let's see how it all pans out. And this is certainly on the heels of the mandatory mask mandate that's already in effect. It took effect February 1st. The United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention issued an order last week stating that masks in interstate transportation and at transit hubs, including airplanes, mass transit, taxis, and trains are required to be accompanied by a mask. And this also includes rideshare vehicles, subways, and it makes not wearing a mask as instructed a violation of federal law. So making a mask mandate makes it a federal law if you're not wearing it. And the order does not apply to private cars or commercial trucks being driven by a sole operator. So again, this is on all public transportation and at transit hubs. And I'm actually glad to see that because I haven't traveled frequently, but I have traveled a couple of times and going to the airport, once people get past TSA, those masks are coming off and I'm looking around and majority of the people are not maintaining the wearing of their masks. And then of course, you know that it is a requirement on the plane itself. And so this mandate also helps airlines out, which also means that for any waivers or exceptions or exemptions regarding health conditions 
would have to involve the ADA or American Disabilities Act. And then that would have to be mandated or listed that there are some specific exemptions. That has not been the case as of yet, but I'm sure ADA will get involved in some way. I don't know if you've heard by now, but there has been a story going around about an African-American traveler who flew on American Airlines, who later, when looking at her credit card statement, had a charge indicated because she had paid for checking her baggage. And that charge said African-American African service charge. So she contacted American Airlines and did not get any answers or response and they couldn't understand why that appeared on there but that they would investigate it. Well, they did investigate why this African American traveler was charged a fee and it indicated that it was an African American African fee really odd. So anyway, American Airlines has investigated, they have responded, and they're saying that after consulting with MasterCard, we were able to verify that the issue did not originate with American Airlines. The baggage fee was purchased at a self-service kiosk in Charlotte with a Capital One debit card. All statement transaction descriptions are managed through the issuing bank in this case, which is Capital One. MasterCard has confirmed that American Airlines correctly submitted the transaction information during the payment process. Now, American Airlines adds that Capital One and its payment processing partners are conducting their own investigation to determine the root cause and to correct the issue. Stating our customer relations team has reached out to Ms. Bryant to update her on the findings of our investigation. So let's see what Capital One has to say. Something else very interesting, again, due to COVID-19, airline pilots are making in-flight errors because they're saying they are rusty. Since the pandemic, flight operations have reduced drastically. That means that pilots have flown a lot less than they would normally. Aviation safety experts note that pilots can lose proficiency when they are out of the cockpit for an extended period of time. Now, some of these errors include a pilot preparing to pull a passenger jet away from an airport gate forgot to disengage the parking brake. That was damaging to a towing vehicle that was trying to pull the plane to the runway. You know how when you're on the flight, airplanes cannot back up. They don't have reverse. So there's always the towing vehicle that will push them back from the gate. That's why the pilot says we're being pushed back from the gate. Well, he didn't disengage the parking brake. And you know what that does to your own vehicle. Now, another pilot had so much trouble landing a passenger jet on a windy day that it took three tries before the plane could touch down successfully. And in another incident, the first officer forgot to turn on the anti-icing mechanism that ensures the altitude and airspeed sensors on the outside of the plane are not blocked by ice. Now, luckily for the passengers, the plane completed its flight without any problems. These incidents are among at least a dozen flying errors and mishaps since May that pilots and first officers have attributed to, at least in some part, to being out of practice because of COVID-19 pandemic, which pushed air travel demand to the lowest levels in decades. And of course, it kept them away from flying for a while. Now, Richard McSpaden Jr., Senior Vice President of the Aircraft Owners and Pilots Association's Air Safety Institute, said that the key to flying safely is frequency. You're not as sharp if you haven't flown for a while. In April and May, the number of daily takeoffs in the United States dropped from 75% below pre-pandemic levels. And in recent months, the number of takeoffs have risen 43%, but that's still below pre-pandemic times. And this is according to the industry data. 
to ensure pilots in the United States maintain proficiency even when they are not scheduled to work for long stretches of time, the Federal Aviation Administration bars pilots from flying a commercial jet unless they have performed at least three takeoffs and three landings, either on a plane or in a simulator in the previous 90 days. But the FAA amended that requirement twice last year, giving pilots more leeway. Now, the airlines group reported that the rate of unstable approaches jumped from 13 or 14 for every 1,000 flights before the pandemic to more than 35 per 1,000 in May. And the problem of unstable approaches increased in airports around the world in the spring and summer of 2020. The Emmett Till Chicago home has officially achieved landmark status and will become a museum. Emmett Till's former Southside home has been designated as an official landmark. Till was killed in Mississippi in 1955. The 14-year-old boy from Chicago had his life ended after he was accused of whistling at a white woman. On Thursday, the Chicago City Council finally approved the decision to grant Till's home landmark status. His memory and everything his death represented will live on through the landmark home. Achieving landmark status for the Till Mobley House is an important step in recognizing that black cultural heritage sites long overlooked by the city are a vital part of Chicago's past, present, and future, according to Naomi Davis, founder and CEO of Blacks in Green. And remembering Emmett Till, to give you more on the story, Till's brutal death paved the way for the civil rights movement. When Till left Chicago to visit family in Money, Mississippi, his mother had no idea that injustice would instantly strike her family. His mother, Mamie Till Mobley, instructed Till on how to behave around white people, but the lessons weren't enough for a society grappling with racial inequality. In August 1955, Till was kidnapped from his uncle's home by white men. He was beaten, lynched, and found in the Tallahatchie River. According to reports, Till's brutal death was due to allegations that he whistled at a white woman in a grocery store. Two white men, J.W. Millam and Roy Bryant, were acquitted by an all-white jury for the murder of Emmett Till. They later confessed to the murder. Mamie Till Mobley held an open casket funeral to showcase the brutality her son experienced. Till's death became a rallying cry for the civil rights movement. Now there's a landmark available that will show what happens when racial injustice is normalized. Hopefully the landmark can serve as a call to action for conversations and meaningful actions. If we don't remember history, the harsh realities of the past will become our present. More people from all over the world can join in on the work that Emmett Till's mom was doing for years. Mamie Till Mobley continued to live in the three-bedroom apartment on the home's second floor until 1962, while she worked to honor the legacy of her only child by devoting her life to eradicating racism and improving the quality of life for people of color. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm your host and travel pro, Javon Harley. Make sure you head on over to the website. It's TravelingCulturati.com. And connect with me on social media. And now, Javon's Travel Minute. Flights, especially long ones, can be taxing on our bodies. Sitting for long periods of time can cause cramping, tired leg syndrome, backaches, and worst case scenario, blood clots that can even be fatal. Well, the first rule of thumb is to stay hydrated with water and electrolytes. Secondly, you can do some stretches before, during, and after your flight to promote much needed circulation and overall muscle relief. 
Some great pre-flight stretches that you can do include downward dog. Now, that's a classic yoga position that stretches your calves, hamstring, and back. It's the position that you often see dogs in when they stretch with their paws planted on the floor in front of them and their butts raised in the air. So to do this position, you're going to place your hands on the ground and spread your fingers wide to give yourself some balance. Press into your hands and then lift your hips up to the ceiling while keeping your feet on the ground. Your butt will be in the air as well. Try to make your legs as straight as possible. Shift your weight between legs by bending and straightening one leg at a time and try to press your heels as close to the ground as possible as you pedal each of your legs. Another stretch is called the inchworm and that's a great full body stretch. That's why it's great before traveling. And to do this one, you're gonna start in a standing position with your feet hip width apart, and you're going to bend at the hips forward, keeping your back flat as you reach down for your toes. So you're gonna to touch your toes. When your hands touch the ground, you're gonna start walking yourself out into a plank position. From the plank, you're gonna let your hips dip down Press into your hands and then look up, also known as the upward dog position for yogis, and then press back down into the downward dog. And you're going to start walking your hands back up to your feet and stand up. And you can do that a few times. Some in-flight stretches. Now, of course, they're a little tricky because of the limited space. And, of course, the respect you must have for your fellow travelers. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be that person taking up more than your own personal space. But there are some stretches you can do in your seat. The seated leg stretches, for example. You're going to straighten and lift your legs. And while in this position, you're going to point and flex your toes. The second move starts in the same position, but this time, you're going to circle your feet at your ankles. Another seated stretch is the seated twist. This is especially good for back discomfort. It's a simple stretch that helps improve circulation in your lower back and will relieve tightness. So while you're seated, you're going to firmly plant your feet on the ground and then with your left hand on your left thigh, you're going to look to the outside of your right knee. Using that resistance, you're going to twist to the right and then look back over your shoulder. And then you're going to repeat that on the other side. And the last stretch I'm going to give you is something you can do after the flight to really help awaken your body again. And you're going to stand with your feet hip width apart, clasping your hands in like a prayer motion. And then you're going to raise them above your head and then open your arms and bend your back as much as you can. And then come forward down and touch your toes. That's the beginning of sun salutation in yoga. But it's a great stretch to lengthen your back, lengthen your shoulders, and give you another good stretch on your hamstrings and your calves. And you can hold both of these positions for as long as you can, whether you're back in the sun salutation where you're in your back bend or you're down with your fingers touching your toes. Try those stretches out and you'll have a much better flying experience. This is Javon and that was your Travel Minute. Well, as I said earlier, we're kicking off Black History Month with a list of places to visit and things you can do to celebrate the month. Now, of course, Black History is 24-7, 365, and it's global. But during the month of February in the United States, we focus on and celebrate Black History. So let's start off with some of the things that you can do to celebrate and to honor the month. For some of you who may not want to venture out into some museums, especially because of COVID right now, you can participate in some online events. And the National Museum of African American History and Culture have a long list of virtual events and conversations that you can participate in. They're all free, but you do have to register. And you can do that on their website, which is nmaahc.si.edu. Now, some of these events include their signature event feature, 
And it's going to feature acclaimed authors, Ibram X. Kendi, who wrote the bestseller, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and Keisha Blaine, author of Set the World on Fire, Black Nationalist Women and the Global Struggle for Freedom. The two authors teamed up for their latest work, 400 Souls, a community history of African America, 1619 to 2019. They will present their book in a museum-sponsored discussion titled Historically Speaking, 400 Souls, a conversation with Ibram Kendi and Keisha N. Blaine. The conversation will trace U.S. history through the perspective of African Americans, and it follows their 400-year journey in the United States highlighting historical time frames, including slavery, the Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow segregation, and the fight for civil rights. It'll also cover African-American culture and its vast influence on American music and art. Later this month, the museum will also hold a virtual event that discusses the economic impact of COVID-19 and the history of public health for African-Americans. For those attempting to understand their genealogy and uncover the lives of their enslaved ancestors, the museum is offering tips and best practices to help African-Americans navigate court and probate records in search of relatives who lived prior to the Civil War. Now that can really be a daunting task. So they've enlisted the help of a certified genealogical lecturer who can break through this information barrier. The museum has something for the children as well. They've put together some children's programs, including at-home creative kits, so that children can participate in weekly virtual workshops entitled Joyful Fridays. Art series is dedicated to the celebration of black joy, history, and culture. There's a full list of events that's offered by the museum, and it can be found at nmaahc.si.edu. Just look under events and upcoming events. Again, that's National Museum of African American History and Culture. Something else you can do is support black businesses. Take some effort and search for Black-owned businesses. An estimated 40% of Black business owners have already closed their doors between February and April of 2020, and this number is twice the decline experienced by white business owners. And with Valentine's Day coming up, you can support a Black-owned restaurant. If you're uncomfortable with dining in, you can order takeout. And if you need help with finding Black-owned restaurants, you can get the Eat Okra app. That's E-A-T-O-K-R-A. It's specifically designed for Black-owned restaurants, and I'll have the owner on with me later in the Culture Report. And if you want to get some wine, Brown Estate in Napa has the only African-American-owned wine estate in the country. Now, there are numerous wineries and wine brands, but they own the estate, and I love their wines, so I can, based on my own taste, recommend their Zinfandel and their Shiraz, and they have a new label that's coming out. I haven't tasted that one yet, but it's called Chaos. One thing my girl squad did this year was to gift each other black-owned wine. So as our birthdays rolled around, that's something that we can do. But it's certainly something you can do for your sweetie for Valentine's Day. And you can donate. Now, you want to donate to a cause or organization that benefits the black community. There's a list of causes and organizations you can search and find ones that speak to you. For example, I, for the election, started donating in Fair Fight because that was something that spoke to me. I loved Stacey Abrams' efforts in rallying the black vote and fighting against voter suppression. But that being said, Museums can always use donations, especially black museums and black heritage sites. A lot of them are really in trouble because they don't have the financial backing that they need to stay afloat. Museum donations typically come with a membership of varying levels and benefits, so that's something to keep in mind. You can also donate bone marrow. You know, Be The Match Foundation is in dire need of African-American bone marrow donors to help sustain life for people facing blood cancers and disorders like sickle cell. So those are some of the things that you can do 
in addition to start planning your travel itinerary. Yes, travel has already begun to rebound and it will continue to do so throughout the year and then of course for the years to come. So for the future, you can include black history sites. They need interest and visitors to survive. And if you're not sure where to go, well, keep listening because I have some for you. And if you need help in planning and looking for places to visit, this list that I'm about to give you will be a tremendous help. And of course, it's not everything because every state and many towns in the United States have black history trails, monuments, memorials, museums, and sites. Sometimes they're in plain sight. We just don't know where they are. So it might already be in your own hometown or city or a place that you're already visiting. Now, of course, I have to mention again the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I've already explained to you that they have a lot of online events that you can participate in. And I've attended a few of those online events. They are excellent. But if you want to visit the museum... It is open, but you do have to get the pass because of COVID. So it's not one that you can just walk up to. And this is the case with many museums today because they want to make sure that they're controlling the crowd and they don't have massive numbers at the same time visiting. So in a lot of cases, you have to make reservations. And a lot of them also have modified hours. So you definitely want to check in advance. And the National Museum of African American History and Culture is in Washington, D.C. It is a beautiful place. And with lower crowds now, you might be able to get through more of it. But I have been three times, and it has taken me quite some time to get through it all. But you want to take the elevator down to the bottom floor because it is chronological from the basement up to the top floor. There's the National Museum of African American Music that just opened last month. Brand new museum and the first of its kind. It's in Nashville and they are open and again, modified hours. And you want to make sure that you go to their website or you contact them to see what their modified hours are and what their restrictions are as it relates to covid It's dedicated to preserving and celebrating the varied music genres created, influenced, and inspired by African Americans. It's in downtown Nashville, and you'll be able to discover the story of the American soundtrack through a variety of interesting displays and interactive technologies. It's 56,000 square feet. They have exhibits that include instruments and clothes that were owned by iconic musicians from Nat King Cole to Whitney Houston. Coming up in 2022, they were slated to open in 2021, but that was postponed due to COVID, is the International African American Museum in Charleston. The museum, as I said, is scheduled to open in 2022. There isn't a open date as of yet, but... In 2022, it will happen. And it's on the site of the largest slave port in the United States, where a good 45% of enslaved Africans arrived at those shores. So the location itself is a significant place. And I'll have a representative on with me next week. So make sure you stay tuned for that because they're going to tell us all about the museum. And what about the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum? It's the world's only museum dedicated to preserving and celebrating the rich history of African-American baseball and its impact on the social advancement of America. Now, that's important, too, now, because Major League Baseball, they're just recognizing the Negro League. And another interesting fact about the Negro League Baseball Museum is that... It shares space with the American Jazz Museum. So you get a twofer there. They're both located in Kansas City Museum. They share the same building and they're part of the 18th and Vine Historic District. The Negro League Baseball Museum was founded by a group of former Negro League players and it honors both the players and the role of the league in the community. The American Jazz Museum features interactive exhibits and films in celebration of jazz and its history. But once again, 
modified hours and they require a passport entry so they are timed and you have to make that reservation for a safe visitor experience you will not be able to walk up so you want to make sure that you take care of that in advance i'm excited about both of those and they've been around for a while the negro leagues baseball museum was established in 1990 and i think a lot of us don't really know about it but certainly it's one to add to your list and another one in new york city there's the african burial ground museum it's a sacred place it's the oldest and largest known excavated burial ground in north america that was for free and enslaved africans it protects the historic role slavery played in building new york in 1991 construction began on a 34-story federal office tower that was positioned on 290 broadway and overseen by the general services administration which is a federally funded construction project and during the construction they discovered some human skeletal remains that were located 30 feet below the city's street level on Broadway. And during the survey work, the largest and most important archaeological discovery was made unearthing the Negro's burial ground, a six-acre burial ground containing upwards of 15,000 intact skeletal remains of enslaved and free Africans who lived and worked in the colonial New York. Now, the burial grounds rediscovery altered the understanding and scholarship surrounding enslavement and its contribution to constructing New York City. The burial ground dates from the middle 1630s to 1795, and currently the burial ground is the nation's earliest and largest African burial ground rediscovered in the United States. And so a little bit more backstory, the first known person of African descent to arrive on Manhattan was Juan Rodriguez. He was among the navigators, traders, pirates, and fishermen who traversed the Atlantic as free men before and during the slavery era. Rodriguez, a free black sailor from Santo Domingo, arrived in 1613, setting up a trading post with the native people of with the native people on Manhattan Island. The first enslaved African arrived in New Amsterdam in 1625 as laborers for the Dutch West India Company also known as WIC, whose profits were chiefly from commerce reliant upon slave labor. They were then pursuing its interests in fur trade, which had been cultivated by early traders like Rodriguez. And along with European merchants, traders, sailors, and farms, these enslaved workers helped to establish the early colony throughout the 17th and 18th centuries. Africans were an important part of the city's population, reaching a peak of over 20% at the middle of the 18th century. Now you see the significance of this, not to just mention its sacred ground. And there's the Tuskegee Airmen National Historical Museum in Detroit, Michigan. The Tuskegee Airmen of World War II, the first squadron of black military airmen, weren't considered equals in the eyes of the law, but that didn't stop them from defending the country, the museum details their training and the role they played in desegregating the military and also find monuments to the men who served as red tails all over the country, including a National Park Service site in Tuskegee, Alabama, that's in their honor. And another fairly new museum that I've talked about often on the show is the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama. A lot of people nickname it or called it the Lynching Museum. That's the informal name or the Lynching Memorial, which is the first U.S. commemoration of the thousands of men, women, and children who were murdered, primarily because of the color of their skin. And it opened in Montgomery in April of 2018. The Alabama site holds 805 hanging steel rectangles in the shape of coffins, each representing one of the U.S. counties where a documented lynching took place, as reported by legal advocacy nonprofit Equal Justice Initiative. And just steps away 
is the Legacy Museum from Enslavement to Mass Incarceration, which opened on the same day and displays the history of racism in America beginning with slavery before examining lynching, the civil rights era, and the present. The Whitney Plantation in Wallace, Louisiana. At the Whitney Plantation, you can actually walk the fields once toiled by slaves and then learn the history of their brutal time in American history. Informed docents provide tours through memorials, slave cabins, and the Great House with a unique focus on the slave's perspective. There's also an area that memorializes children that I hear is very, very touching. And then, of course, you can't mention black history sites, memorials, monuments, or museums without mentioning Martin Luther King Jr.'s memorial in Washington, D.C. It was completed in August 2011 in its solid granite sculpture of Martin Luther King Jr. And it celebrates King's dedication to civil rights and racial equality. And it can be found in West Potomac Park, near the National Mall. Certainly visit it by day. And if you visit it in the spring, the cherry blossoms or the flowering trees are in bloom and it is a beautiful sight. And then of course, walking along the Wall of Hope with different quotes from Martin Luther King Jr. And then visit by night, you wanna do both. Visiting by night, his statue is illuminated and it stands tall there with his arms crossed. It is a phenomenal sight. Actually, any of D.C.'s memorials and monuments, do a D.C. by night tour. It's a fantastic way to see the monuments and the memorials illuminated at night. Remember the Pullman Porters? There's a Pullman Porter Museum in Chicago, Illinois. These are the African-American men who worked as porters on the trains of the Pullman Car Company, and they're revered for their service and their dedication. The Pullman porters really have a place in history. They endured incredibly long working hours for only about $60 a month, and more than half of that went back to the company to pay for their supplies that they used on the job. Stories of their experiences on the segregated trains and their experiences off, you know, once they got off from work and just what they endured overall. They're all detailed in the museum, which also explains the political climate of the time and rise of unions, like the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters. Now, there are many sites of the Underground Railroad. However, the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center is in Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, as you know, the Underground Railroad was an intricate secret network of allies that runaway slaves relied on to escape to freedom and collectively was called the Underground Railroad. The National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati puts together exhibitions that highlight the slave trades of the past and present, and the center presents interactive exhibitions, films, and even includes a slave pen from Kentucky built in early 1800s. Now, understanding that the moving tribute is even more relevant when you think of approximately 27 million people estimated to be enslaved around the world today. And what about the West? You know, we don't often speak about the West, but in Denver, Colorado, is the Black American West Museum. It started as an ode to black cowboys, but it has grown to include tales and artifacts of African Americans who made their way West to forge new lives, whether driven by professional or personal circumstances. It's located in the former home of Colorado's first female African-American physician, Justina Ford. The museum is packed with photos and artifacts and is best experienced with a prearranged tour. Also in California is the California African-American Museum in Los Angeles. It's 44,000 square feet, and it does a great job showcasing items from African-American history, and they also include some great contemporary themes. For example, they have an exhibition called Oh Snap! West Coast Hip Hop Photography is just one example of how the museum makes the collection very interesting, informative, and accessible, of course, to younger audiences, because we want younger people to know and embrace their history. 
The Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad National Monument was proclaimed a national monument in 2013 by President Barack Obama. And the site structure and landscape are closely associated with Harriet Tubman who, of course, was the abolitionist and activist who escaped slavery in 1849 and then subsequently made an estimated 13 missions to free 70 enslaved black Americans via the Underground Railroad. And then there's the Harriet Tubman Byway that is over 100 miles of scenic beauty and is dotted with significant locations and heritage sites relevant to the Underground Railroad and Harriet Tubman herself. Let's talk about my new hometown favorite, and that's the DuSable Museum of African American History in Chicago. It's dedicated to the study and preservation of African American history, culture, and art. The museum opened in 1957 and is known for innovative exhibits like Red, White, Blue, and Black, a history of blacks in the armed services and freedom, resistance, and the journey toward equality. They have a long list of exhibits and events throughout the year. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Welcome back to the Traveling Culturati. I'm Javon Harley, your host and travel pro. The website, TravelingCulturati.com. Go ahead and check it out. And while you're there, follow us on social media and join that travel club. Culture is forever changing and reflecting what's happening in the society and with its people. It can be born of the arts, music, food, and sometimes politics and strife. This is the Culture Report. And I'm chatting with founders of Eat Okra, a new app specifically designed for Black-owned restaurants and eateries. On our Traveling While Black social media channels, we have Traveling While Black, Black Business Travel Edition. And each month we feature a Black-owned business and encourage our followers to let us know about other Black-owned businesses we can use and support during our travels or, well, anytime. I'm bringing that feature to Traveling Culturati, and today I'm chatting with Anthony Edwards, co-founder of the mobile app Eat Okra, the first smartphone application to curate over 4,700 Black-owned businesses and food establishments throughout the United States. Anthony is a full-stack developer with a Bachelor of Science degree in computer science from Fordham University and owner of Lily Bytes, a software development and consulting company. Well, hello, Anthony, and welcome to Traveling Culturati. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Super excited to have this conversation. It is, and I'm excited to have a conversation with you because, first of all, I love this. So why the name Eat Okra? Well, Eat Okra is a nod to our heritage okra okra seeds were brought over during the slave trade and grown in slave plantations in the south my wife and i both have roots to the south so we thought it was a great name to to really justify what we were doing and give nod back to our heritage and culture and okra is not only rooted in the south but it is certainly rooted in the african-american culture and such a great nod so what was your inspiration for creating the mobile app itself my restoration came out of a real organic need for my wife and I. At the time, you know, we were a boyfriend and girlfriend at the time dating, and my wife moved to Brooklyn, and, you know, we didn't have any, really, any, like, cooking utensils or even a stove at the time, so we were forced to really, you know, get to know Brooklyn and what better ways than to eat, going to restaurants, enjoying the culture in and around restaurants. So that was our main thing at the time. My wife was like, you know, you need to make this app because there's no way to really find these black-owned restaurants at the time, back in 2016. And at that time, it was really just about Googling, you know, black-owned restaurants were listed on Google Docs or some articles. The information can be old or not up-to-date anymore. So, you know, you're basically doing this huge internet search when there should have been an app back in 2016 that did just this. So we thought it would be great. I was a developer. I just had got out of college in 2014, 
and looking to build an app and my wife was like this would be a perfect app for you to build and you know that's what we did wow necessity certainly is the mother of invention as they say <laughs> right 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 yeah. and i agree with you so many times i have been on the google platform to search black owned and i won't even begin to tell you because you probably experienced some of the same things that i did the results that you got and it was abysmal actually to find anything and sometimes the results that you got had nothing to do with what your search was and sometimes you found some very derogatory things that came up. I know that was my experience sometimes. So what type of restaurants and food establishments are available in Eat Okra? Right now, we're, we're primarily brick and mortar. And right now we also, in the last year, implemented food trucks. So now you can view food trucks in real time. So food trucks are known to move you know, a couple of times a day. So we make it so that you know exactly where they're at or where they're gonna be at. We also are going to start listing catering companies, online companies, ghost kitchens, things like that. And pretty much all kinds of restaurants as far as cuisine are listed on our app. I love that addition of food trucks because I usually just discover them just by walking around and voila, there it is. But I've always wanted to be in the no crowd to be able to find out where they are, where they're going to be, how long they're going to be there, especially those that may be in the neighborhood and not just where I am, but also extending that to wherever you are. I did a trip to Hawaii a couple of years ago, and they are known for their shrimp food trucks. And so I went on a search for those. And it was a wonderful discovery. And a lot of people are going into food trucks and that you've expanded it to so many other things. Yeah, food trucks, I really love this addition, you know, because it is something that's really hard for people to find. You know, you have to really like, really, really follow a food truck on their Instagrams or something like that to know where they're gonna be at. Or some of them, you know, stay in the same spot daily, but many of them are moving, moving locations throughout the day. So it's hard to, you know, to keep track of them or even to discover new ones because maybe you never go down this certain block where they're at, you know, so you'll never find them unless you happen somebody by word of mouth or you happen to find them through Instagram or another social media channel. It's a, it's a tough business, but a lot of new restaurants or a lot of new caterers and, and new chefs, they're, they're starting food trucks because it's cheaper, right? They can move around. It's not as much needs as a brick and mortar is required as far as upkeep. So food trucks have become a lot more desirable these days, and I think that trend is going to continue along with ghost kitchens. Now, what about pop-ups? Yeah, pop-ups is one thing we're going to be adding, too. It's, it's very similar the way we think about it in our mobile app. So it's really just about us gathering more data and, and getting more listings up to like make it work for pop-ups because it's very similar to food trucks. So we look to have that up, too, within the next couple of months. And I would think uh, during this transition that we're in now with COVID um, and the restaurant industry, along with the travel industry, have been hit very hard, that pop-ups would be something that we would start to see quite a bit of over the next at least couple of years, if not forever. Yeah, with COVID, you know, people are going to just want to stay more outdoors, I think, for a while. I think there's going to be a gravitation more towards an outdoor experience. And who can like win in that space have the best outdoor experience because i think for at least a couple of years dining inside when there's too many people are going to turn a lot of people away and with that being said you launched in 2016 how has eat okra changed since then man we've grown about four four thousand percent in that time it's changed that we've added one i've okay so i started building the app in one language called ionic framework and then I rebuilt it again back in 2018, 2019 in a new language that made it a little bit more performant. During that time, we went from having 300 restaurants to 4,700 restaurants. We went from having 12,000 users to 300,000 downloads. That is fantastic. And a couple of things you said that just kind of sparked my interest. You are a full stack developer and you talked about one of the languages. What exactly is a full stack developer? A full stack developer is someone who pretty much touches every piece of the code base from the user perspective to the back end perspective. And so I'm a person that is like codes the front end of it. That's everything that you see as well as everything that you don't see and everything in between. I see. I see. So 
How has it been received overall since its launch? I think it's very well received. You know, of course, we've had trolls that give us poor reviews or email us or write us. But overall, it's been an amazing response from the community from, yeah, pretty much from the community, local and national. You know, everybody loves what we're doing. They're using it often and daily. And the numbers show we're really excited about the engagement that we're receiving on the app. And how do you curate the list? The list was originally done by my wife and myself for about four years. We uploaded all the information manually ourselves. Now that information is crowdsourced and we have a few people helping us import that list into our database. And we have about 5,000 right now that we're still going over to get them into our platform. And I love that you're working with your wife. My husband and I work together. So I love a husband and wife duo. What's your wife's name? My wife is Janique Bradley. Well, Janique Edwards now. now Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's our marketing. She's our COO. She's everything but the technical piece for our company right now. You know, that often happens, and it's the same in my company as well, is that my husband is hyper-focused in one area, and then I do everything else. (laughs) So it kind of seems to be the same pattern throughout husband and wife duos. But going back to curating that list, is there a platform for black business owners, restaurant and food establishment owners to contact you or to have their establishment listed? Yeah, so on our mobile app, it's for really users who just know about a restaurant that we don't have on our platform. And so we just ask for like four fields to fill out, like name, address, city, state, and then we do the rest of the work, you know, website if you have that. But on our website, we have a button at the top in our header that says get listed. And that's a full form for business owners to fill out and then that's the the application. We review it, respond back to the owner, and then we get them managing their own data. And is there a review that's part of the app for users to leave reviews, not just of the app itself, but of the different restaurants? Yes, back in May, we released that feature. So now users can leave reviews, you can rate it. We have like, we use our Okra icons as our star rating system. And then on top of just leaving a rating, you know, one to five rating, you can leave a review, give it a title and put some text in in that comment as well. And where is the app available? You can find the app on iOS and Android. So that'd be Google Play and Apple Store. Type in Eat Okra. So Anthony, what's new and what's on the horizon? Yeah, so what's on the horizon is Black History Month, and during that time, we are launching an e-commerce store that will live on our mobile app as well as on our website, where users or people who love or want to try Black restaurants, Black business owners who create their own sauces, spices, teas, jams, cake mix, you know, things like that, and we're selling it on our platform. That is fantastic. I love that. I'm a foodie, if that's still a term, but it's one that I still (laughs) use. So I love that feature. And it sounds like Eat Okra is now, but also will develop into a complete full service app with restaurants and food establishments in mind and foodies in mind. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to get this out and get it in the hands of all our users. Okay, so that's Eat Okra, a simple guide to finding Black-owned restaurants. And it can be found at eatokra.com or at the Google Play Store or the App Store. Well, that's it for the show today. Wherever you go, go with all your heart. Confucius. Ladies and gentlemen. This is Traveling Culturati. We explore cultures and destinations. We share travel news and travel tips to keep you well-informed and prepared for your next travel adventure. So go ahead and up your travel game with Traveling Culturati. Visit TravelingCulturati.com for more information. Ladies and gentlemen.